A very good evening to you and welcome to People of Note on Classic 1027. I'm Richard Koch and every Sunday from 6 to 8 we talk to someone who is a person of note and listen to music of their choice. And I've got a very special guest tonight in Stan Katz. First of all, a warm welcome to you. Thank you, Richard. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you on the program. And Stan Katz, for many, many years, has been well-known to radio listeners around the country. Uh, and we'll hear about his story and how he came to be involved in radio and what he's done. And I think you still have a radio program, Stan. Uh, it's actually on Facebook Live. But uh, the format is pretty much radio. And together with Frey College, I've just launched an online radio sales course, which uh, was launched globally uh, last month. Really, radio sales? You, you became uh, the CEO of Prime Media Broadcasting. Correct. Which was sort of a strong brand, a very strong brand in South Africa. So radio and sales sort of are linked to your name in a big way. <laughs> yes, I guess Perhaps so. Perhaps we can just go back, though. Where, where were you born? I was born in a place called Mafeking, which has changed its name twice, I think, from Mafeking to Mafikeng, now Mahikeng. And I suspect they kept changing the name because they didn't want me finding my way back. <laughs> and they need not have worried on that score because... Mafeking was established for people who are fed up with excitement. And I'm a 60 thrills a minute kind of guy. So I had no intention of going back once I'd escaped. But that's where you grew up. Yeah. And how did you get into broadcasting? I presume you, you were at school in, in yes, Ma uh, Mahikeng and then at Wits. At Wits, yeah. And so where did this love of broadcasting come from? It was actually a love of music that led me to yeah. uh, broadcasting, and I'll, I'll do the, the uh, potted version of how that happened. I play guitar, and I had visions of becoming a musician. And my parents, who were probably typical Jewish parents in that regard, thought that an education was the most important thing they could give me. And so... The attitude was, you can do whatever you want in life, but have something to fall back on. So I did a BCom, and um, I joined my brother in business. I was going, to, I, I set out to become a lawyer. I was going to do the BCom LLB. After I finished the BCom, my brother talked me into going into business with him. It was, uh, it failed after a year, for a number of reasons. But um, I was driving my car one night listening to a little station called Swazi Radio. This was in the early 70s. And I came to two conclusions. One was I was probably not talented enough to make a living as a musician. And secondly, probably the best bet of staying close to the music would be to be involved in radio in some way. And I thought, I didn't think I had a great personality or that I wanted to be a star or that I had a great voice. I just wanted to be close to the music. And um, I managed to get an interview through a connection 
with the management at Swazi Radio. And I, uh, I went, presented myself for the interview. There were three people interviewing me. There was the manager, the finance manager, and somebody else. And I, bucolic and open-mouthed, I poured forth the torrent of my inspiration. <laughs> and I said, I want to be a DJ. And they said, we're not looking for DJs. What do you know about programming? And I swear this was my answer. I said, if you tell me what programming is, I'll tell you what I know about it. That's how little I knew. And the interview was over. I said, thanks for coming to see us. And as I was walking towards the door, I thought, if I don't do something now, I'm dead in the water. And as I got to the door, I turned around and blurted out, I've got a BCom. And I got a job as administrative assistant to the company secretary um, at 250 rand a month. And basically, I was the office boy. But you had a foot in the door. But I had a foot in the door. And that was the start. That was the start of your life as a special star. <laughs> and, and that's your first choice, the famous song by Mango Groove. Yes. And here it comes. That was the famous song, Special Star, featuring Mango Groove. What a great group they were. What a, still yeah, are. Still yeah. are. I'm very friendly with, with both Claire and... John Layden. John is the, as you know, the leader of the group and the principal songwriter. We've been friends for about 20 years. But, well, um, and they've been going about 20 years, I should think. They've been going more longer than that. Than longer that. Than they that. started in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, John was at university studying philosophy. He's never had a proper job. He's never worked a day in his life. It's just Mango Groove has been amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So your uh, career as a musician, did you ever play in a band or yeah. a group? Yeah, yeah, at school. Well, in, in, at school, I was going to say. At school and briefly at university. But I played a lot on my own and entertained people um, on the lawns of the Vits and at the Rares where I stayed. But um, I quickly disabused myself of the desire to be a musician. However, uh, you did get involved in some music festivals. Yes. Because I saw one of the things you did was a tribute to Jimi Hendrix. Yes. Just tell us a bit about that. Okay. So I was, I got this job at Swazi Radio. But first of all, where was that based? It was based in Johannesburg. Okay. And it was actually the forerunner uh, to 702 uh, because it was the same owners. And uh, the station, the, the transmitter, was in the hills of Swaziland because, if you recall, back in the 70s, there was no way you could uh, get a license yeah. to broadcast in South Africa. SABC had the monopoly. So the Kirshers had acquired this through some over, uh, overarching deal, which included the station, and we would record everything in the studios in Johannesburg and then fly them up to Swaziland. Uh, the transmitter was run off diesel and sometimes they would run out of diesel so we'd go off air or, or the tapes wouldn't arrive or a tape would play for an hour. The tape would be stretched and it would wow for an hour and there was nothing you could do. The only com 
communication we had was when the station manager, Stan Gobi, went to a little town called Amsterdam on the border. And uh, telex, the communication would then be via telex. So it was real bush radio. It was like a pirate radio yeah. station. And um, anyway, I'd been there. I'd worked when John Burks was hired as program manager. I said, I would like to transfer to programming. I now knew what it was. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I became assistant program manager, and John said, that's a non-job. He made me music manager, which I loved. I was choosing the music for the station. And my love, as I said, was music and now programming. And they then hired an ex-South African who was doing good stuff in radio in Australia. They hired him as music manager. Now, here I am, music manager, and I'm informed that they've just recruited a top guy from Australia as music manager. So my first reaction was my ego telling me to leave. This was an insult. And then I stopped and thought, hang on. If I, oh, I became assistant music manager. That was, was offered yeah, yeah. to me. And I thought, I'll take the job because not only will I know what I know, but in time I will know what he knows. And I learned an enormous amount. Had I let my ego get in the way, um, I would not have learned much. And then he was fired. He had a blowtorch personality. He was the type of guy who would brighten up a whole room when he walked out. And Burks had got, was unhappy, and he left, and I became acting program manager and in-time program manager. And then... I decided I was ready to be general manager because I didn't think the general manager was doing a particularly good job, and he wasn't. He was, tot he was hired because he was a personality in the sporting world, and he had connections and a network. And I submitted a report to the owners detailing why I thought he was useless and why I thought I would be uh, a better bet. And... Uh, they gave him the report and he fired me <laughs> <laughs> on the spot, <laughs> on the spot. Well, it was a bit careless of them to give it to him. I thought Jesus. so. Yeah. I thought so. Crumbs. Anyway, uh, do you want to play some music? Yeah, we will. Uh, and do you want me to just give you how I came to do the music festivals? Let's come on to that after this yeah. because uh, this is someone who certainly went to play the music festivals too, Johnny Clegg and Savuka. This is the famous piece called The Crossing, Osieza. That was Johnny Clegg and Savuka with Osieza, The Crossing. The choice of Stan Katz, who's my guest on People of Note. Stan Katz was for many years a presenter on Radio 702, and we'll come on to that, and CEO of Prime Media Broadcasting. Uh, but one of the things he was going to tell us was about his music festivals. And you were a fan of Jimi Hendrix. And how did you get into music festivals? Oh, I'll tell you exactly. So I was 26 when I was fired. Um, and I was devastated. I didn't have a political bone in my body. I didn't, not even corporate politics. I thought all you have to do is be sincere. And I yeah. was. 
I didn't wish him any harm. I just thought he was not doing a good job. And, and I could, could do a better job. job. Um, anyway, so I had a number of choices. I thought I could go back to law school and finish my LLB. I'd completed the BCom. Uh, I could go to, to business school and do an MBA. And then I thought, nah, I'll do a f rock festival at Ellis Park. I knew nothing about putting together rock festivals. But I, and I make this sound easy and quick, but it wasn't, it was very difficult. I lined up the top eight groups in the country at the time, including, if you, you might recall, Rabbit. Yes. Trevor Rabin has gone on to do amazing things. Yeah. He actually was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in America a couple of years ago. And the other would, band around at that time was E Void. I think. E Void, yes. You know, I can't even remember. I remember Rabbit, and I remember Band of Gypsies, and I did a deal with the SABC for this thing to be broadcast internationally. Now, I was. This was the seventies. We were arch enemies, but I managed to convince Radio Five at the time and the SABC to broadcast this uh, internationally. I don't know to what end. Uh, there was no money in it, but it was prestige and I could brag the, I had bragging yeah. rights. So one of the bands I uh, booked, I'd never heard of until then, was a group called the Band of Gypsies. And they just dived, dived in and helped me put up posters and the mother was their manager, the father, it was the father and three boys, three sons. And uh, I didn't know that I was actually being courted because the mother was getting on in years and she wanted someone to manage the band. So I landed up after the festival managing a rock band, the Band of Gypsies. Little did I know that these guys were so unpopular amongst club owners that I basically couldn't get them arrested. So <laughs> that's how popular they were. I went to one place called Club Tomorrow and I was giving them the spiel and the owner said, yeah, I remember the father and the three boys. I said, yeah, that's right. He said, I wouldn't hire them if they were the last band on earth. I said, why? So he said, well... One night, they came on stage barking like dogs, and which was very funny. And then, until one of them bit someone in the audience. <laughs> and they cleared the club. So I shoot out. They were staying on a plot in Honeydew. And I said, you guys have got to level with me. I don't even have answers when these people, you know, tell me that they wouldn't hire you. So Peter says... I don't know, I don't remember, you know, the years flash by. And Benny, who's the drummer, says, well, it couldn't have been me because I don't have any teeth, which is true. Benny didn't have any teeth. These guys had lived rough. And uh, Peter then says, and we didn't start the fire at the ambassador. <laughs> oh, my so this was God. quite a group. I couldn't get, I couldn't get them a yeah. gig. This was quite a group. Yeah. But they were good musicians. <laughs> and Peter could play yeah. like Jimi Hendrix. He channeled Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. 
Anyway, they, I bought them a truck so they could transport their equipment. I bought them equipment, and then they disappeared. Uh, firstly, I discovered they had taken the back off the truck, and they were using it to cart chickens because they were now chicken farming. They were basically desperate. They were good guys, but they were desperate. Anyway, I tracked them down to Durban. I thought, how do I get some of my money back? And then I came up with the idea of doing a tribute to Jimi Hendrix at the Market Theatre, and it was a huge success. Um, we packed that place night after night. And then I got ambitious. So I was going to tour them, and we transferred to a bigger theatre, the Alhambra, and then it flopped. What an amazing story. Yeah. And just a matter of interest, how many people did you get at Ellis Park? I don't even remember. But uh, I mean, it was quite thousands. a, quite a big was, venue for your yeah. first gig. It was yeah. the original Ellis Park. Yeah, yeah, okay. Do you remember? It was the tennis courts yeah, yeah. and that. It, not the current Not Ellis the current Park. one, yeah. But we did, when I was at 702, we played a concert in the park with uh, Johnny Clegg. We had 85,000 yeah. people, yeah. Amazing. Those big outdoor events mm. were just incredible. Well, you were obviously born to run, and that's your next choice. Bruce Springsteen, here it comes. That was Bruce Springsteen and Born to Run, the choice of Stan Katz, my guest in People of Note tonight. That song encapsulates everything that rock and roll stands for. The rebellion, the alienation, the aloofness. And the beat. And that was your era when you were growing up. This came out in 1976. Yeah. No, but I'm I'm thinking back a bit further because we're more or less the same age. And I I remember listening. I had an older brother and sister uh, who used to listen to Elvis and all that sort of rock and roll stuff from, from the late 50s, early 60s. So my, my love of music started when I was six years old because I also had an older brother. He was 10 years, he is 10 years older than me. I was six, he was 16. He was on the scene. He knew, he had all the latest music, uh, Elvis, uh, Little Richard, Frankie Lyman, uh, list goes on. And I remember standing in front of the mirror with a tennis racket and playing air guitar. I was just, captivated by rock and roll and classical music. My my first exposure to classical music was Liszt's Hungarian Rhapsody. My mother had one album. It was Liszt's Hungarian Rhapsody, which I just loved. We listened to over and over. I kept asking her to play play it again. Well, this is quite interesting because in general – the, the Jewish community, particularly in South Africa, have been great supporters of classical music over the years. Where, where did your parents come from? They were born in South Africa. Yeah. Um, my grandmother was English. She came out as a child of eight. Um, my grandfathers were from Lithuania. But my parents were, I'm second generation, yeah. my parents were born here. Yeah. Well, it's all an amazing story. And and eventually then, you obviously got back into radio at some stage. Okay, before then. Uh, no, when I left, <laughs> left when I was fired from Swazi Radio, 
uh, I was approached by the SABC. Uh, Pity Lotrit from Radio 5 uh, hired me um, to do two shows. One was 5 a.m. on a Sunday morning, so there's no chance that anyone would ever hear me. And another show at 5 o'clock on um, Sunday afternoon. I hated every minute of it. I used to sit in those programming meetings and think that this is bad karma and I'm being punished for something I did in a previous lifetime. I hated it so much. Then I also got a job on at the same time on the Eng- what was then the English service uh, doing second house at two in the afternoon and Saturday night doing a rock show, my choice of music, uh, which I called Night Ride. I was fired from the two o'clock show because I was too laid back and I was playing West Coast rock and roll. I had succeeded Peter Broomfield, who was playing the Andrews Sisters and Mitch Doherty, and I changed that completely because yeah. I was going to attract a different audience. Anyway, they had so many complaints, they fired me. And as I was leaving, Ronnie Wilson was the head of the service. His PA said to me, so sorry you're leaving. I really enjoyed your show. You know, you were so laid out. I knew she meant laid back, but... <laughs> <laughs> But somebody had put a spell on you, really, and that's your... <laughs> now, let me, can I yeah. just give, yes. give you a, a setup on this? This, to my mind, is Santana's greatest solo, and he has had many great solos, but this one is transcendent. Buddy Guy and Carlos Santana, I put a spell on you. The choice of Stan Katz, who's my guest in People of Note. So... In your life, you've been fired a few times. Oh, yes. <laughs> but eventually, you did the hiring and firing. Yes. <laughs> but it's, it is an amazing story because you've sort of been with radio from the beginning of your career. We're from Swazi Music age, Radio. I yeah. knew at the age of 23 what I wanted to do. And what is it about radio that attracts you and still does? I think the first thing was the music. And I thought that it was my mission to improve people's taste in music because I thought at the time the music that was being played on radio was rubbish. Um, This is a bit arrogant to think that. And you were a keen listener yourself to radio. Absolutely. Um, I had a tape recorder growing up and I used to do radio plays to get my friends around and we'd act out scenes and create radio plays. And the other thing about radio is theater of the mind. And I I will, I think, arguably, radio, the pictures on radio are better than on television or in print because they're formed in the imagination. And every picture is individual to each listener. So, yeah, it's, a, it's just magical. Radio is part art, part science, and more than a bit of magic. And very intimate. Very intimate. Yeah, I mean, even it's as... It's one-on-one. Yeah, even as we're talking now, we're talking to individuals wherever they're listening. And similarly, when someone listens to a radio show, for example, let's take uh, your show on Classic 1027. 
you automatically picture what the presenter looks like, what is the environment, where they're sitting, what does the studio look like. You are part of that entire experience. Yeah, and it's always, I've always loved radio much more than TV, actually. Were you ever involved in other media or only radio? I was. I had an ill-fated company called Moby Bliss where we were going to install Bluetooth uh, transmitters in major malls and bombard people with advertising. Um, didn't work. Uh, but no, radio has been... Uh. Your, your medium of choice. My medium of yeah. choice, as they say. Okay, here comes your next choice, which is Hotel California by the Eagles. Let's listen to it, and then you can tell us about okay. it. Hotel California, the Eagles. Why I like it, not only for the lyrics and uh, the melody and all of that, but to my mind, that is one of the best guitar solos of the 80s. It's actually two guitars. And I see another one coming up, Fleetwood Mac also. Another going, great yeah, solo, yeah. 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 So, and so do you still play? Yes, more than ever. Really? Yeah. But I play for myself. Yeah, you just have fun. And I play for my friends, yeah. yeah. It's fun. And have you got a nice guitar? I've got a wonderful guitar. What is it? It's a Fender Stratocaster, actually a Fender Ultra Strat with lay sense of pickups and humbuckers. And I've got a number of amplifiers. And today you can get backing tracks yeah, yeah. on YouTube. So I find backing tracks and I jam with the backing tracks. Put on your headphones and away you do you do it live? I do it live. Live. Yeah. You make a lot of noise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the neighbors have complained from time to time. <laughs> so you really do go your own way. And that's the title of your next choice, which is Fleetwood Mac. That was Go Your Own Way. Uh, Fleetwood Mac, the choice of Stan Katz, my guest in People of Note, who, as you've gathered, is also uh, a very keen guitar player with his Stratocaster. Uh, it's always been, uh, whenever we've talked about light music, well, in, if you remember in the days of the SABC, there were two departments, light yes. music and serious music. Yes. And uh, all the names you mentioned there were people that, that I came to know as well in my career at the SABC. Although I was in a different department, I got to know all those people because uh, at one time we worked with um, Heifeld Stereo when we did those big outdoor concerts at Klufendal. Um You talked about some outdoor concerts with 702. But um, just recently, because of um, lockdown, I've been looking at old photographs. You know, we used to do about five performances of 7,000 people each. So we had wow. over, we did 35,000 people in a weekend of Highfield Pops, if you remember the Highfield Pops. And the amphitheater. Uh, yeah, at Klofendal. Yes. And they were amazing. Yes. Uh, and Pitti Lotrit was involved with that through Peter Human and Peter de Nobrega, all the, the pits. Those, those guys came from uh, Radio 5 at the time. Okay. So you knew all those people. Yeah. Yeah. And you... Also, through 702, I was involved with 702 doing concerts at the zoo. So you obviously were into this outdoor concert yeah, scene. You yeah. know, the, I've always thought radio needs to be prove itself. To, it, I, I call it taking it to the streets because it is so – it's invisible. 
if you can show a radio, radio to be a tactile, tangible, fun um, medium, uh, you engage more with the audience. So that's where we met. You conducted, it wasn't exactly a symphony orchestra at the time in the park, but you conducted the orchestra, and I think it was a Mother's Day. That's right. Mother's Day picnic in the yeah. park. 702 Mother's Day concert at the zoo. Concert it became at the a zoo. very That's big. What it, was, yeah, we be- it became a very big thing. We did it yes. for many, many years. Exactly. Um, and we used to get about twelve thousand people yeah. at those. They were a lot they were of fun. lovely days. People Beautiful. Bring their picnic yeah. baskets and blankets and yeah. It was lovely. Yeah. But now, you know, things have changed now because I think people started moaning that the animals didn't like the noise and there was all that sort of stuff. Like we used to do big fireworks concerts too at uh, JCE, Symphonic Fireworks. They wow. were spectacular. But then people started moaning about the noise and their dogs and, you know, fireworks. Fireworks have sort of gone out of fashion now. It's it's so sad because, because I love those concerts. Animals. Yeah. But, I mean, all of those concerts we used to say sort of hallelujah when they happened because, you know, big crowds like that really brought in the money too. So here comes Leonard Cohen with hallelujah. That was Leonard Cohen's hallelujah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was so difficult picking my favorite Leonard Cohen track. But this one has – I think this is the definitive Leonard Cohen song. And uh, it's been covered about 300 times. Some of the cover versions are better than the original, but I thought better play the original. Well, I've played this at several concerts in versions arranged by South African uh, arrangers and so on, and it's always gone down very well. When when you've got a big choir and soloist and orchestra, it sounds fantastic. And one of the the nice things about doing, let's say, Heifeld Pops or Starlight Classics, all the, the big outdoor concerts, which I still do, is doing big arrangements of pop songs and the singers think it is Christmas. You know, they, they stand there with, with backed by a full orchestra, yeah. choirs, backing vocalists. It's an incredible feeling and an incredible sound, uh, which, you know, you don't always get on when you just got a small band with you. So it's fantastic. Yeah. Now, we haven't really got onto your time at, at 7.02. Okay, there's a... Step in between. Yes. <laughs> so um, I knew I needed to start earning a living. I was now uh, 29, and I got a job as a copywriter at um, uh, JWT, Joe Walter Thompson, which was the leading uh, advertising agency at the time. I knew a lot of people who worked there, and I thought if I can't be in radio, I want to be with people who are smart and talented and fun. My motto for most of my life has been, if it ain't fun, it ain't happening. And a step back from that, I would go to America at every opportunity. When I was working for Radio 5, when I was at uh, Swazi Radio, the company, the station paid for me to attend conventions in America. Radio 5 was obviously not going to do that. So I took myself to America and I met one of the top American radio programmers. It's interesting, from not knowing anything yes. about programming, I'm now rubbing shoulders with 
top programmers in the world, and we became firm friends. And I visited him on another occasion where he was programming a station in Boston, and one of their syndicated shows was Wolfman Jack, who was a legend and a leading radio and television personality in America. Cut a long story out. He got offered, my friend gets offered a job to come work for Wolfman Jack in Hollywood, California. And my friend phones me and he says, come work for us. I said, what? He said, yeah, come work for the Wolfman. I mean, this was, you know, sell my dog and rent out my room because I'm in heaven. <laughs> so I got a job in America working with some of the top people. And that's where I really honed my craft. I learned from the best. And then I had to come back to South Africa because I didn't have a green card. I had a, an immigration lawyer who was working on on this for me. And I my status was about to change. I was getting my green card. And they asked, have you been working? And if you lie, because I had been working, and you perjure yourself, you ruin your chances of getting American citizenship. He said, however, if you're out of the country, uh, when the status change occurs, the question doesn't arise. He said, go back to South Africa, wait a while and wait for it to come through and then come back. And it took longer than I thought. I thought it'd be a month or two. In the meantime, I, uh, I got a, a job, offered a job working for Gray Advertising. It was then Gray Phillips, Bunton, Mundell and Blake, or as we called it, Gray Phillips, Blunder, Muddle and Fake. Uh, it was fun. It really was fun. And I got a part-time job on 702. Now, here's another kicker. The guy who was running 702 was the guy who fired me from Swazi Radio. <laughs> <laughs> so... Because of my experience and my knowledge, uh, they probably knew that they should hire me. So they gave me a graveyard shift at 10 o'clock on a Sunday night. Uh, but I had free choice in music, and I built up a huge following. And then I became uh, – I was offered the drive time show, uh, afternoon drive, and I left Gray, took the, our afternoon drive show. And that became very successful. And in the meantime, because it was only three hours a day, I had started a little agency of my own where I could leave at four o'clock in the afternoon. Um, do you want to play some music or should I carry on? Let's, let's play Parisian Walkways. This is by Gary Moore. Parisian Walkways by Gary Moore. And this is the choice of Stan Katz. And you're just hearing the most important part of his story. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, um, I watched aghast at some of the mistakes the station was making and doing things without knowing why they were doing it. And I knew they had a consultant. I went to see the consultant and I said, these guys don't know what they don't know. In fact... What they don't know about radio would fill a warehouse. So, 
were you about to get fired again? <laughs> no. This time I was a little more cautious. Yeah. Um, so anyway, what happens is the guy who fired me at Swazi now gets fired at 702 for something that he did. I believe he tried to stage a palace coup. So he was ousted. Anyway, so I spoke to their consultant, and he spoke to uh, the person who was handling HR, who spoke to the MD, and they approached me to become sales and marketing director. Now, my whole approach to radio had changed in the meantime from being on a mission to change people's taste in music the penny finally dropped about what commercial radio was about. Commercial radio is about delivering prospects to advertisers. You are a conduit between the listener and the advertiser or a marketing vehicle for gaining access to consumers. And my love for radio changed from programming to sales and marketing. And... Uh, I, they had a little sales team going, which also didn't know what they were doing, but at the time, the fish were jumping in the boat. 702 had started uh, in, the, in 1980, and the demand for airtime was so great, they just kept doubling their rates and doubling their rates. And I said, you guys are living in a fool's paradise because the fish aren't going to be jumping in the boat forevermore. And I started weaning them off the fax machine and how to go out and convince people to, uh, to sell airtime. And the station just took off um, financially. By 1987, however, uh, we were running up against uh, stiff competition from Radio 5. Previously, 702 was on, on AM at the time. Radio 5 was on AM. And we were beating them hands down. We had, John Burks had more listeners in the morning in 702 land than they had nationally on the entire station. And then Springbok, you will recall, closed down. I remember. Um, sadly, it was a great station. But um, television had come. And soap operas were more compelling on television than on, uh, excuse me, than on radio. And 702 was taking a lot of advertising out of the market. Springbok closed and handed over their FM network to Radio 5. And we knew we could not compete as a music station against an FM competitor. It would have been like sniping at them with a pea shooter. We had to make a change to be continued after the song. Well, talking of success stories in marketing, the three tenors must be one of the great success stories, certainly in classical music, because they put operatic type music on the market. And this is the famous piece that really put them on the market, Nessun Dorma. And it's the three tenors, Zubin Mehta is conducting the orchestra of Rome Opera House. That was the three tenors singing Nessun Dorma. 
none shall sleep. And I guess uh, my guest in People of Note is Stan Katz. That's the program you're listening to on Classic 1027 with me, Richard Cock. And we're really hearing almost the history of uh, modern broadcasting in South Africa, certainly radio broadcasting. Um, and it's an amazing story because having uh, captured the advertising market for 702, you then went on to break into Cape Talk as well, apart from just 702. First, uh, we, ha- we knew that we could not continue on AM as uh, a music station. We also knew that we would have to be competitive within the entire arena, not just against Radio 5 or 5FM as it now was. And so I had been observing for some time uh, the phenomenon, a similar phenomenon in America where AM stations were switching from music to talk or news talk or uh, niche niche-type programming. So we, it was quite easy. Our, our decision was, was, was not difficult. I said, what can't the SABC do and what won't they do? And the answer was simple. The SABC in 1987 could not go on air and say, open the, open the lines and say, what's on your mind? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because... The content was very carefully controlled. Do you remember at the time they were banning records and scratching them so that it was not possible to play them? They were banning the Beatles for crying out loud. So um, they couldn't go on air and say, what's on your mind? And we said, that's all we got to do. Tell the truth. That's all you have to do. Tell the truth. If you listen to seminars, so we became a talk station. Um, we called it rock and roll without the music. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we uh, – our news was – if you listen to our newscasts and the SABCs, you would think it was two different countries. We were sending our news vehicles into the townships and people we were shouting, Viva 702, Viva. So – it was working, and again, the station took off. It was a bit of a risk. It had never been done before, and I said, we are going to stop playing music entirely. My sales staff were shocked. They would come into my office ashen-faced and shaking. They can't we play some music? Advertisers hate this. Just some me. I said, no, we got to bite the bullet. And I must say, I had many sleepless nights wondering whether we'd done the right thing. But it took off and became even more successful, uh, made more money. Um, and then, built based on the success of 702, we formed Prime Media Broadcasting. And from Prime Media Broadcasting, we built Prime Media Limited, which um, became one of the most successful media conglomerates at the time. Yes, because I still see on all these um, street advertisements, Prime Media Media is there. We started buying up outdoor companies and 
that type of thing. Well, it's wonderful because you were on a mission, and that's your next choice. Ennio Morricone, the chap who wrote the music for that amazing movie, The Mission. The Mission by Ennio Morricone, and I'm sure you remember that amazing movie about young uh, religious men who were on a mission in the jungles of South America. And you were sort of on a mission in, in the jungles <laughs> of South that's Africa. That's not why I chose this. <laughs> My mission changed. Yeah, changed. But, yeah but your mission changed, and, and you managed to negotiate the rapids of the rivers here. Um, and and made a huge success of what you were doing. And, I mean, many people owe a lot to you and to Prime Media for their careers in radio because radio, I think, still is such a precious medium. And I think perhaps even more now during the recent lockdown. Well, I think all media types, uh, ha- listen, uh, consumption of all media types has been skyrocketing because people uh, want to know what's happening, what's caused it, how do we pr- protect ourselves, how do we, and then what is the post-COVID-19 Well, that's world the big question like? now. That's a big question. Now, uh, just to digress for a moment, if you're following media, um, the coronavirus is on the rise again because they're opening up economies and where the recent protests are happening worldwide. Social distancing is totally ignored. So, but, and you're right. But radio above, almost above all of its other attributes is companionship. I don't think there is any other medium that provides companionship like radio does. Now, there are also um, uh, many online services, streaming services, uh, where you can get the music of your choice exclusively. You can cut out irritating disc jockeys, um, advertising, that type of thing. But what none of them offer is that companionship. Yeah. And I think that's really uh, important. I mean, as we were saying earlier, actually, we're talking to people one-on-one. Yes. And, and we're talking to our friends who are sitting at home. So wherever you are sitting at home, listening to this interview with Stan Katz, that's exactly what we're doing, hearing Stan's story and how it relates to the world today, a very different world from when Stan and I actually started in this business of radio and broadcast. Back in the days of silent radio. <laughs> <laughs> and perhaps the, your next choice is absolutely perfect because it talks about the, the changing fortunes. O Fortuna, this is from Carmina Burana by Karl Orff. That was Carmina Burana, the, O Fortuna, the opening chorus and also the closing chorus from that cantata. It was performed by the London Philharmonic Orchestra and the choice of Stan Katz, who's my guest in People of Note. Stan, do you still manage to get out to events? Do you travel a lot? Uh, I have been traveling a lot. I've been doing, for the last 10 years, doing a lot of work uh, across the continent. uh, In in this field? In this field, yeah. Training uh, radio stations, consulting to to radio stations. I started up 
doing work for Deutsche Welle, which, as you know, is the German international broadcaster, uh, they would send me to uh, radio stations or groups of radio stations across the continent to try and make them financially sustainable. So I, I could tell you stories about some of the places I've been. The first, my first assignment was Liberia. Uh, second one was Sierra Leone. Um, not exactly um, paradise, to put it mildly, and the conditions are terrible. But I've worked all over the continent, Liberia, Sierra Leone, Ghana, Kenya, Zimbabwe, Zambia, Namibia, etc. So radio, radio is big in Africa. It's huge, yeah. and for obvious reasons. Well, and if you remember, it became huge here once the airwaves were opened up. Yes. I mean, you talked earlier about the fact that SABC at one time controlled all the radio stations Correct. in South Africa. Uh, after 94, it just proliferated. Well, we bought... Uh, Highfeld Stereo, as it was then, it's now 94.7. We bought Highfeld Stereo from the SABC. Uh, we paid an eye-watering amount of 320 million rand. I remember it. Which was 190 million rand more than the next bid. But we were determined to get it, and it was it was a money machine. So from 702 to that, and then we opened Cape Talk, which was the sister sta- is the sister station of 702, and then bought KFM. So, but it was all off the foundation of 702, which was just a cash-generating money machine. Amazing. Well, we've been through all the four seasons, and here's summer, because... We're looking for, well, we're nearly halfway through the year now, if you can believe it, in a couple of weeks. Yeah, we'll be halfway through the year and then summer will be around the corner. Here comes part of Summer from the Four Seasons by Vivaldi. That was Mary Samuelson performing Summer or part of Summer from the Four Seasons by Vivaldi. Well, Stan, we've sort of come the whole journey now, but your journey still goes on. You say you're still consulting, you're still working, you've still got uh, an online... uh, Just tell us about that. Okay. Um, Well, so much of uh, media, uh, so much of just about every business now is online. Um, I must point out that this was not opportunistic. I'd been working on this for a year because in 2012 I wrote a book on radio sales. My, as I said, my love of radio changed from music and programming, I still love music, programming to the business end of things. I wrote a book on what the business of radio is about and based on that, I, a year ago I started working on an online course because I think it solves some of the problems with going in there for a week at a time and trying to teach people how to make money in radio. So this uh, people can do in the comfort and safety, important, of their own homes at their own pace. It's 10 modules and it has quizzes and games and lively discussion groups and that type of thing. 
It's modestly titled The Ultimate Radio Sales Course. And where do we find it if we want it? Uh, Frey College, F-R-A-Y-C-O-L-L-E-G-E dot com. Uh, they're doing the marketing. I did this in conjunction with them. They did a terrific job of taking my content and turning it into this. So, yeah. Fantastic. And you also have uh, a Zoom-type thing. Oh, oh yes. Yes, on a, fact, on a Wednesday. You're going to be, a, be my guest next week on Thursday nights on Radio Today Johannesburg's Facebook page. Um, I do a program called The Four Ps. Now, The Four Ps uh, originated as The Four Ps of Marketing, which was product, price, place, and promotion. And a friend of mine, Tom London, suggested I do a program on marketing and branding. And I said, that's boring. I'll do the four Ps, but the four P, my four Ps will be, I'll ask South African icons across numerous fields, music, entertainment, politics, business, sport, um, what their four Ps are. And the four Ps are, what is your philosophy? What is your purpose? Do you have a purpose? Do you think it's important to have a purpose? What is your passion? and what causes you pain. And I look forward to finding out all these things about you, Richard, <laughs> next week. Well, it's, that'll be a quid pro quo. <laughs> it's broadcast on a Thursday night at 8 o'clock on Radio Today's uh, Radio Today Johannesburg's Facebook page. Great. Well, we look forward to that. And talking of four Ps, here come two more. Please, please me. This is The Beatles, and it's your final choice. That was Please, Please Me, as performed by The Beatles. The final choice made by Stan Katz, who's been my guest in People of Note tonight. It's been a fantastic couple of hours spent with you, Stan. Thank you, Richard. I've and enjoyed it. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you for being here, and thank you for sharing this amazing story with us of what you have contributed to radio in South Africa. And it's still our favorite medium, obviously, here on uh, Classic 1027. And, of course, all the other radio stations that people listen to. But I know we have a lot of listeners to people of note. So to, from all of them, I want to say thank you to you also. And thanks to Matabataba Hadebe, who's helped us put the program together. Thanks, Tubbs. And um, I'll say good night. Thank you so much for having me, Richard. And I look forward to reciprocating next week on Thursday night at 8 o'clock on Radio Today, Johannesburg's Facebook page. It's a live show. It's on video, so they'll be able to see what you look like. <laughs> well, there we are. That's it for another week of People of Note. Until next time, from all of us here at Classic 1027, we wish you a very good night.